I would invite you to open to Genesis chapter 31. And as you turn there, this week as I was reflecting on this passage, the Lord brought a song to mind. And I think the reason the song came to mind is because as I was puzzling over the passage, I was trying to, trying to articulate for myself what it is that I think Jacob is missing and what it is that, that Rachel seems to be missing. And while I was, I was standing at the sink in the bathroom and this song began to play in my head, I'm not going to sing it, but I will start to read you the lyrics, and I suspect that many of you will recognize it immediately. I saw the light. I've been baptized. You recognize the song yet? It's Some of you nodding your heads. It continues, by the fire in your touch and the flame in your eyes. Now you know the song, right? Brooks and Dunn. This song, it, it, it never struck me before how... What, what Brooks and Dunn have done, I don't know if they wrote the song, whoever wrote the song, what they did is they took Christian concepts and they took conversion. They took the experience of regeneration and they applied it to the experience of meeting this woman. And, and, and now they're singing that the experience of this woman is like being converted. It's like seeing the, the light, the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ so that now they've been baptized and they've been made into a brand new man. He says, I'm born to love again. I'm a brand new man. Well, I think we'll see in this passage that that's what Jacob is missing. That's what Jacob is missing. That's what Laban is missing. That's what Rachel is missing. This experience of, of a converting power that causes you to be passionately in love so that your whole life is transformed and changed. So look with me, if you will, at Genesis chapter 31. And in the first three verses, we see the problem. We've, we've been talking about how last week we talked about how the Lord multiplied Jacob's seed, his offspring, his children, and the Lord also multiplied his flocks. And actually, before I read uh, these first three verses of Genesis 31, I want to suggest to you what Jacob has probably not been doing, which I think if he had experienced the new birth, maybe he would have been doing. Now, did Old Covenant believers, people in the, Old in the Old Testament times, did they experience the new birth? I think that there are people in the Old Testament, I think Jacob's going to be one of them, and I think eventually Judah will be one of them. We'll see evidence that the Lord has given them circumcised hearts. We can talk a lot more about that later, but basically all I'm saying there is I think there's a lot of evidence in the Old Testament that the Lord has fundamentally changed these believers on the inside so that they believe and they live for God. So if that had happened to Jacob, I think we would have heard something like this out of Jacob's mouth. When, let's say, Laban says, Okay, Jacob, you can have the speckled sheep, Meanwhile, Laban is stealing all the speckled sheep. I think Jacob could have said to his, his, his uh, father-in-law and to his brothers-in-law, Hey, guys, the God that I worship, the God that I serve, promised to bless my grandfather Abraham. And then he passed that blessing to my father Isaac. And then my father Isaac passed that blessing to me. I'm going to be blessed no matter what. And this God made the world. There's plenty to go around. There's going to be no shortage. God is going to bless me. Our flocks are going to multiply. So let's all get, in, let's all get on board here and cooperate together. There's going to be plenty for everyone. And that's not what they do. That's not what they do. Laban is trying to steal the flock from Jacob. And Jacob is trying to steal the flock from Laban. And then look at, look at the outcome here in chapter 31. Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. They think that if Jacob gets rich, it's going to make them poor. That is not the way it works. That is not the way it works, not with God. That may be the way it works in some worldly, ungodly, godless ways of looking at the world, but that's not the way it works with God. Here's how it works with God. Genesis 12, 3. God says to Abraham, 
I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. That's how it works. So if Laban and Laban's sons had learned from Jacob, hey guys, look, the, the living God, the maker of the heavens and the earth has said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless everybody that blesses you. If they had then said, okay, so to be blessed, we bless you, and they had embraced that program, guess what? They're going to get blessed. Now, I think Jacob also maybe has a responsibility to warn them. That God also said, you oppose me, you oppose my father Isaac, you oppose my father Abraham, you're going to come under God's curse. He, he should tell them that. That's where they land. But they don't get the warning. Which is to say, I think, in Old Covenant terms, well, to speak in New Covenant terms of the Old Covenant situation, Jacob doesn't tell them the gospel. Jacob doesn't tell them the good news. So they don't know of the blessing. So they operate in this godless, worldly way that says, if, for him to get rich means for me to get poor. And they're mad about it. So, and Jacob doesn't, at this point... Even though Jacob has experienced God revealing himself to him at Bethel in chapter 28, I don't think Jacob's heart's been changed. So Jacob at this point is not at a place where he's prepared to say, hey guys, there's plenty for everyone. There's no shortage of blessing. My God has plenty. I will enrich you. Jacob could say that to them. He's not in a position to do that. So verse 2, Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Now, this passage is, is amazing. This is an amazing passage in the Bible. I keep saying that, I know, every week. It's true every week. Uh, th this passage blew my mind as I was studying it this week. In the providence of God, God is graciously, mercifully saving Jacob. He's in the process of saving Jacob, and he's going to do it in a way that is going to, going to provide a preview of the exodus from Egypt. It's, um, it's amazing the way this, this works out in this passage. Verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Which this is what God said to Jacob back in 2815. He said, I will be with you, Jacob. And now he's saying, Jacob, I've promised you land, seed, and blessing. I've given you the seed. You're now to go back to the land, and the blessing is going to come as I'm with you. So that's our first unit, which sort of tells us What's going on? And, and before we go on, let's note also how for these people, the sons of Laban, and for Laban, and for Jacob, they, they really evidence very, very little, if any, awareness of the blessing of Abraham. I mean, I think at some level, Jacob would say, yeah, I know the blessing of Abraham. But I don't think he would say, I saw the light. I've been baptized, and my whole life has changed now. I used to live one way, and now I live a totally and completely different way. And I don't think he would say, I live for God. That's what dominates me. I don't think Jacob would talk that way. So he's aware of the blessing, but he's not living like it controls him. And for Laban's sons and Laban, they just show no evidence of it at all, which prompts me to ask you to consider this question that, that you can use to diagnose your life and the state of your heart. Do I live for stuff? That's what Laban's sons are living for. Jacob's getting rich, and he's taking it all from us. Is that dominating your life? Do I live for stuff, or do I live for God? What controls my life? What do I live for? That brings us to verse 4. Jacob sent, so Jacob's out in the field with the flocks and herds. Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them. Now he's going to tell them the story. And he says, I see here in verse 5 that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. And now he repeats what we just saw in verse 3. But the God of my father has been with me. Okay, so he's telling them, the blessing of God is on my life. God is with me. And now he's going to recount Laban's injustices, which they know all too well. Verse 6, you know 
that I have served with your father, I've served your father with all my strength. And he's going to, as we continue the, through the passage, he's going to give more details on this. He served seven years for Rachel, and then Laban changed the wage and gave him Leah. And then he served another seven years for Rachel, and now he served another six years for, uh, for the flocks. So verse 7, yet your father has cheated me. And I think probably they could just reflect on their own lives and say, yeah, we know what that's all about. I mean, who knows? Maybe Leah, maybe there was a guy that Leah wanted to marry when, uh, when Laban sends her in there to Jacob. We, we don't know. Maybe, but whatever the case, I'm pretty sure that Leah knew Jacob wants to marry Rachel, not me. This is not a good idea. And, and, and so Laban, has, he's cheated Jacob, and he's, in a way, he's ruined their lives too, Rachel and Leah. And so they're very well aware of this. Your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. So here again, Jacob is aware of God's providence. He's aware of God's protection, but he's still not, he's not living like God is God, I would say. He's going to talk the talk, but his life is not really transformed. Verse 8, if he said, if, if Laban said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Now, before we, we read on, I just want to observe that, you know, there's this statement over in, I think it's in Psalm 105, uh, where um, um, the psalmist speaks of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, he permitted no one to hurt them and, and said, Touch not my anointed ones. And it's really interesting because these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who weren't anointed, are being spoken of as anointed ones. That God did not allow these, these foreign kings and these foreign powers to harm. So it's just a really interesting reflection on episodes like this in Psalm 105. So God has protected him. And then look at verse 9. Jacob says, thus God has taken away the livestock of your father, and given them to me. Now, what's, what's really interesting about verse 9 there is that you, you could, you could uh, well, I'll, I'll just read you a verse that uses the very same language. This is Exodus chapter 3, verse 22. Each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry, Gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder, that's the word, for taken away here in Genesis 31 verse 9. You shall plunder the Egyptians, Exodus 3.22. So if we, if we sort of step back and reflect on this, you know, when Jacob first came to Laban, Laban was really happy to see him. Come in. Come in. I, you're my brother, Laban says to Jacob. And when Jacob goes down to Egypt... Pharaoh, it's a different Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh arises who doesn't know about Joseph, but the Pharaoh, when, when Jacob first comes down to Egypt, the Pharaoh receives him gladly, and Jacob actually blesses the Pharaoh. Similarly, after a, after a time with Laban, what does Laban do? He basically makes Jacob into a slave. And after a time in Egypt, what do the Egyptians do? Well, they, they subject the Israelites to forced labor, to harsh servitude. They make them slaves. And, and then, remarkably, Jacob the slave, he plunders Laban, just as Israel the slaves will plunder the Egyptians. And then in the same way that, that God is going to summon uh, the, the Israelites out of Egypt, God's going to summon now Jacob out of Padan Aram. So verse 10 Jacob recounts how he had this vision. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. I think this is another point of contact with the Exodus. Uh, out of the burning bush, the Lord says, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Listen to Exodus 
chapter 3, verse 6. I'm sorry, it's verse 7. Exodus 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So the Lord sees what Laban is doing to Jacob, and the Lord sees what Egypt does to Israelite. And, you know, I know that there are people here who are in difficult job situations. There is no doubt in my mind that some of you have bosses that are really hard to work for. And I would just encourage you to be encouraged by the fact that the Lord sees. The Lord sees, and he cares, and he knows this is the kind of God the God of the Bible is. The God of the Bible is not one of these people who, I'm, I'm kind of like this, I'm sorry, I apologize. This is one of my flaws. Matt was talking about in Sunday school how the elders have flaws. And um, um, pe some people like me, when if, if you come and you complain to me, I'm inclined to say, hey, listen, everybody's life is difficult. What you need to do is you need to be grateful and you need to rejoice, and you need to persevere, and you need to find something that you can work hard at, and you need to get over it and move on. So, you know, if you want to complain, I'm not your guy, probably, okay? Um, you need to do what you can do to get better. That's my attitude. But, and, and so I apologize to you if that harms you at some point. But look at God. God is, God is seeing the difficulty, and God is aware of the difficulty, and God is ready to say, Laban, or Jacob, I can address this. I can make this better. I can fix this. So the Lord says, uh, which, let me just add an application there. Don't come, to your, don't come to me like I'm Jesus. I'm not Jesus, and I can't be Jesus for you. But Jesus will be there for you. I think that's really encouraging. I hope you find that encouraging. If you don't, we're going to have difficulties. Verse, <laughs> verse uh, 9. Sorry, we're in verse 10. Oh, 11. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Verse 13, I am the God of Bethel. So remember the Lord revealed himself to Jacob at Bethel, and now the Lord is identifying himself. This is exactly the way the Lord talked to Moses. This was in our call to worship this morning. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So the Lord presents himself. He identifies himself. I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So in the same way that the Lord calls Jacob home from Padan Aram, he's going to call Israel home from Egypt. And so Jacob is recounting this to Rachel and Leah. Verse 14, Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Which is a really interesting question that they ask because an inheritance is precisely what Jacob has back with his father. And an inheritance is not usually what daughters receive from their fathers. The inheritance usually goes to the sons. That's why Jacob's uh, brothers-in-law are upset about him, because everything that used to belong to Laban now belongs to Jacob. So, so Jacob's wives, Laban's, Laban's daughters, are saying, well, our father doesn't have any wealth to give us as an inheritance. We've got nothing with him. Everything we have is with you, and you have an inheritance from your father back in the land. And then they continue, and they say there in verse 15, are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us. This is a, this is a piercing reflection, I think, on the way they got married. I will serve you seven years for your daughter Rachel. So it's a... It, Laban is basically selling Rachel to Jacob, but then he changes Jacob's wage and gives him, gives him Leah instead. And, and, and so they're, they're saying, he sold us, and then they continue, and he has indeed devoured our money. So what would have gone to them, perhaps as some form of dowry or, or some, some kind of fatherly gift, Laban has not stored that up to bless his children. Instead, Laban, it sounds like, has lived on his own pleasures, and he's eaten up everything that he could have passed on to his children. Meanwhile, the Lord has taken away his wealth and given it to Jacob. 
And they, they conclude in verse 16, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children because we belong to you and you have it all. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So as we think about what happens here in this interchange, this relatively long conversation between Jacob and Rachel and Leah, one big thing I think should stick out to us, and that is the way that God kept faith with Jacob. God has done for Jacob exactly what he said he would do. God kept faith. We should, we should lock into God's faithfulness. And, and God's faithfulness should be what encourages us when we find ourselves in difficulty. When we find ourselves in difficulty, our, our thought process, we want to train our thinking to go like this. God is in total and complete control of everything. He made the world. God has been totally and completely faithful throughout the ages to his people. I'm one of his people. Difficulties are for my good. Adversity is going to conform me to the image of Christ. So what I'm to do here is endure suffering so that suffering can produce character, so that character can result in endurance and hope and glory for God. That, that's what we need to learn from the faithfulness of God. You're only going to feel that way if God is your passion. You're only going to feel that way if when you hear words like, I saw the light, what you mean is, I saw the incomparable glory of the Lord Jesus. And when you hear words like, I've been baptized, what you mean is, I died with Christ. I was buried in the waters with Christ. And I came up a brand new man, not in the Brooks and Dunn way, meaning now I'm all passionate about this woman, but a brand new man in that now I live for God. And God is my passion. And everything in my life is pointed at him. And if that's the case, his promise will be your hope. What he has promised will be what you hope for. Verses 17 through 21, we see this episode where Jacob flees and Rachel steals her father's idols. So verse 17, Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels, which points to the enormity of their wealth. Uh, camels, that, we're talking about multiple animals, and um, they're, not everybody has camels. And in a couple of chapters, we're going to see that that Jacob is going to give this massive gift of animals to Esau. I mean, it's an enormous gift. I took just one part of that gift and added up the potential monetary value of the gift that Jacob sends to Esau to placate him. And I, I mean, like a low estimate would be like $40,000. And that's just one little aspect of the gift that Jacob gave to his brother Esau. So Jacob is enormously wealthy, which again, I think points to the possibilities with Laban. I, a, a, a generous-hearted person who knows the blessing and the promise of God and who has enormous wealth would be in position to say to his brother-in-law brothers and to his father-in-law, I think he maybe should have said something like this, hey, you know, there's this blessing of Abraham thing, and I'm experiencing it, and if you'll start blessing me, you'll experience it, and I think what we can do is set up some kind of arrangement where you begin to prosper along with me. Maybe I put you over part of the flock. Maybe we create an arrangement where uh, you, you work hard, but you got to cooperate with, the, with God. you got to get on board with the blessing of Abraham. And if you'll do that, I'm in position to make you wealthy. And that's, that's not what happens. And, and so here we are. Verse 18, he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. So... He summons Rachel and Leah out to the field. They have this conversation. They come to agreement, and they flee. And we read in verse 19, Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. If we just sort of pause and think about this for a moment, Moses is telling us, Moses is showing us how ineffectual and worthless these gods are. 
If we, if we just say, why would someone have gods in their household? Well, one reason is probably to prevent things like theft, right? So Moses is showing us these gods can't do anything. These gods can't even keep themselves from getting stolen. Rachel stole her father's household gods. Why would someone be interested in household gods? Because they think they need them. So I think this is another indication that Rachel, Rachel is not where she needs to be spiritually. Rachel, let me just read you Genesis chapter 30, verses 22 through 24 that we saw last week. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. And then here we see some spiritual problems saying, may the Lord add to me another son. And if you remember from last week, we talked about how, you know, if, if God is your treasure, God is what satisfies you. And when God comes through for you, you rejoice in God. You don't say, now give me some more of the stuff that I want, God. Because what I really love and what I really need is not you. It's this stuff that you give me. And because she's interested in stuff, she thinks maybe these household gods will help her some way. And so she dishonors her father. Thou, you shall honor your father and your mother. And she commits theft. You shall not steal. And she commits idolatry. You shall make no image in the form of anything. And she worships another god. You shall have no gods before me. Rachel is not in a good place. Verse 20, and Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. So the God of the Bible is a God who works all things together for good. And I think that Moses is, is showing us how even in this convoluted and, and difficult life of Jacob, which, you know, as last week, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I was trying to get across last week is that with the blessing of God on Jacob's life, you know, why not? Why not live in a way that pleases God? Why not live in a way that, that worships God, that rejoices in Him, and that blesses other people? And if you don't do that, you're only going to have your own regrets. Later in this book, when Jacob goes before Pharaoh, Pharaoh is going to say, how old are you? And Jacob is going to say to Pharaoh, few and evil have been the years of my life. And, and few and evil because, because of the way that he chose to live. Well, God is working all that together for good, and God is sovereignly ordaining a situation where Jacob's flight from Aaron, Aram, Padan Aram, is prefiguring Israel's flight from Egypt, the same language that is used of Jacob fleeing. And then look what he does in verse 21. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates. Well, the people of Israel, they're going to flee out of Egypt, and then they're going to cross a body of water, the Red Sea. And set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And then they're going to set their faces toward the land of promise. So Jacob tricks Laban and he flees. And uh, he crosses the Euphrates. And then again in verse 22, when we read here, When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled. This is just like Exodus 14 verse 5, which Amos read earlier. When it was told Pharaoh. The wording is exactly the same. And what Pharaoh does is what Laban does. Verse 23, he took his kinsmen with him and he pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. Now, he's pursuing him like he's pursuing a thief. That's how he's going after Jacob. And he's, he's gathered all these people with him, not because he goes as an emissary to say goodbye, to have a peaceful parting. He goes as one looking to get back what has been wrongly taken from him, with battle if necessary. So he goes after Jacob the way that Pharaoh goes after Israel. This, this firmly puts Laban in the place of Pharaoh. And it invites us to step back and say, how did that Pharaoh, not the first Pharaoh, the Pharaoh that, that Joseph worked for, that Pharaoh, he blessed Joseph. And his whole country got blessed. I will bless those who bless you. And those who dishonor you, I will curse. That, that later Pharaoh who arose who did not know about Joseph, what did he do? He cursed Israel, or he dishonored Israel, and then he got cursed. And that's where Laban is. 
in response to which I would encourage you to bless the people of God. Bless the people of God. Paul says in Galatians 3 that the blessing of Abraham has come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. If you know people who are in Christ Jesus, they have the blessing of Abraham upon them. And that means that if you bless them, you'll get blessed right along with them. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying you're going to get monetarily blessed. That's, that's, in my opinion, that's irrelevant. I'm not saying you're going to be healthy. That too is irrelevant. I am saying you'll experience the blessing of God on your life. You'll have the peace of Christ that comes from knowing that you're righteous before God, that you stand in solidarity with the people that are being conformed to the image of Christ, that you experience God's pleasure, God's fatherly concern to conform you to the image of his son. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. So, so the way to experience that blessing is to bless the people of God. Bless the children of Abraham, those who follow in the footsteps of Abraham, which is to say, love Christians. Don't be one of these Christians who their hardest punches and their harshest criticism and their most scolding rebukes is for other Christians. Don't be that kind of Christian. Be the kind of Christian that says, these are my people. These are my people. Psalm 119, verse 63, I am a companion of all who fear you. You're a believer in Jesus. You're on my team. I'm with you. That's the way we want to be. That's not where Laban is. Laban brings the curse upon himself. Verse 24. You remember remember in Exodus 14, as Israel is fleeing, they come to the shore of the Red Sea, and then here comes the army of Pharaoh with all the chariots. And it says that the pillar of cloud and the angel of the Lord moved from going in front of the people of Israel to being behind the people of Israel and standing between Pharaoh and Israel all night long. And I think that that's the episode that stands behind Psalm 34, that beautiful, beautiful verse that says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And that's what the Lord does for Jacob here. Verse 24, God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And then Laban overtook Jacob. And again, this is language that's much like Pharaoh overtaking Israel. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. So it's like we've got these two opposing camps that are about to, about to come against one another in battle. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs with tambourine and lyre? No, you know. Does anybody think he actually would have done that? No, nobody thinks he actually. I don't think he actually would have done that. I think it would have been as it was with the servant of Abraham. You remember that guy back in Genesis 24? And he's like, oh no, stay with us longer. And the servant of Abraham is like, I'm going home to my master with, with the wife from my master. I'm getting out of here. And, and so Laban just wants to keep people. He's not going to send him away. This is basically the only way for Jacob to get away. But Jacob has his share of responsibility. Jacob is not altogether, he's not innocent. He has tricked Laban. The text plainly says it. And that question there in verse 26, what have you done? That's a question we keep hitting in the book of Genesis, don't we? Genesis 3, they eat of the fruit of the tree. What is this that you have done? Genesis 4, Cain murders Abel. What have you done? Genesis 12, Abraham passes Sarah off as his wife, and Pharaoh says to him, what have you done? And then Abimelech asks the same question to Isaac again and again. What have you done? Verse 28, Laban says, why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. You know, there are grains of truth in what Laban says. There are aspects in which this is right, but there are also answers to his questions. Why didn't I let you do this? Because you never would have let me go. Why didn't I let you do this? Because I don't trust you. Why didn't I let you do this? Because you told me that I was working seven years for Rachel, and then you sent Leah in. That's why. 
Why should I believe anything that you say? But there are grains of truth. Laban says in verse 29, It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, notice he calls the God who appeared to him the God of your father, saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So he wants to know about these these gods that Rachel took, which Jacob doesn't know about. Verse 31, Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid For I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. So he clearly doesn't know that Rachel took them. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Which points to the state of their marriage, doesn't it? And and again, I think this just shows us that if you don't live for God, if God is not your passion, your whole life is, is not going to be what you want it to be. And it's never going to be what you want it to be. I suspect that if God were Jacob's passion, he, could, he would have, I think, communicated to Rachel and Leah. Those gods that your father has in his house, we don't, nobody needs those. Those things are dead. We could walk in there and steal those and they wouldn't do anything. They're useless. They're worthless. And the abundant blessing that we're experiencing, they don't come from those gods. It doesn't come from those gods. It comes from the living God, the God that, that revealed himself to Abraham and that blessed Abraham and blessed Isaac and now has blessed me. That's the only God worth living for. That's the only God worth knowing. That's the only God worth worshiping. These other things are, are just irrelevant. We don't, we don't need to bother with them at all. I, it doesn't seem that Jacob has been that kind of man. And... And the ramifications, they're not going to stop here. I mean, we see, we see a, a not very good marriage where Jacob's unaware of what his wife has done. And we're going to see, uh, we've already seen in some ways, well, we got multiple marriages, don't we? We got conflict between Rachel and Leah going. And we're going to have a lot of conflict between the children born to those women. Conflict that is so bad that Joseph's brothers are going to sell him into slavery. That, that's a bad family. That's a family that is not, I mean, that's a group of brothers at least that are not living for the Lord. And where do we trace that back to? Well, their father, Jacob, has lived a certain way. Don't hear me saying everything is down to parents, okay? Everybody's responsible for their own sin. That's true in the Old Covenant. That's true in the New Covenant. But parents have a massive influence. And and husbands have a massive influence on the state of the marriage. That's all I'm trying to emphasize here. Verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants. But he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel saddle. And sat on them. I think that Moses probably really enjoyed writing this. Because these gods, they can't keep themselves from being stolen. And now they're being hidden away. They, they can't manifest themselves in power. And, and then wreak vengeance on those who committed the effrontery of stealing them from their rightful possessors. They're just easily hidden away. And then they're defiled. She said, so... Verse verse 34, she sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them. Verse 35, and she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. Which means that those gods are being defiled by the way of women. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Um, So so the family is just, it's just in rubble, isn't it? It's a smoking ruin. And then Jacob became angry, verse 36, and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? And and if if we just sort of step back from the narrative, we could list some things, couldn't we? Well, you deceived your father. You stole your brother's blessing and his birthright. And then you've ripped off your father in law. And you've really given him no more reason to trust 
you, then you have for trusting him. And along the way, you've not acknowledged God's goodness to you. You've not thanked God for the way that he has providentially protected you and blessed you and provided for you. You're living for yourself, Jacob. That's your offense. What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods, which he didn't find the idols, but they're there, you know? The idol, Rachel really did steal the idols. Jacob's party really did steal the idols. And so Laban didn't find them, but the sin was committed. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. Which they can't do, so they can't achieve justice. Which is a frustrating situation, isn't it? But the Bible is telling the truth about the world. The Bible is indicating that sometimes there are thefts that will be committed that at least in this life, by human uh, means, will not necessarily be put right. Those, those household idols are not brought into the light and the crime is not visited upon Rachel. That's the way this world goes. But God knows, God sees, and God is a just judge. Jacob continues, verse 38. So set your hope on God, right? Verse 38, these 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. Jacob's been a good worker. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. It's all good, Jacob. You are a good, hard worker. That's great. How much better it would have been had you lived for the Lord and told Laban about the blessing of Abraham. How much better it would have been if you had lived for the Lord and told Laban's sons about the blessing of Abraham. Verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. Notice the word fear is capitalized. It's, it's as though... Isaac's God is being described as his fear. Had Notice Jacob doesn't say, my God. If, if this God of my fathers had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night, which is true. But Laban doesn't like it. And Laban still wants to think of things his way. So verse 43, Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. Which, okay, in a way, but in, a, in another way, no, they're not. You gave those daughters to Jacob in marriage. They're not your daughters anymore. They're his wives. And, okay, in a way, those are your children descended from Jacob, but in another way, not. And in a way, those flocks are your flocks, but you made a deal. And you tried to finagle with it, but the deal was made. And what Laban, Laban's not accepting this. So he, he then says, all that you see is mine, but what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? So these guys don't trust each other. Laban doesn't trust Jacob. Jacob doesn't trust Laban. So they're going to make a covenant. Verse 44, come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. It's basically a non-aggression pact. It's not a peace treaty. It's a I'm not going to attack you kind of a treaty. Let, it be, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let it be witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha. But Jacob called it Galid, which means heap of witness. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, they named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, which I hope I never have to say that to a son-in-law. I mean, this is a, these guys, they don't like each other. They don't trust each other. They don't think that the other is going to do good things in the future. If you oppress my daughters, he says to him, or if you take wives besides my daughters... Although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, 
See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, uh, sorry, let me, let me just say something about verse 53. When he says the God of Abraham, that reads like it normally does in the Bible. But then when he goes on to say, and the God of Nahor, I think that the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, is a better translation here. It's got a lowercase g and an s on the end. The gods of Nahor and the gods of their father Terah judge between us. Laban is invoking here these other gods. He's not, he's not talking about one god, the god of the Bible. He's talking about all these other gods. And then Jacob swore by the fear, and notice it's capitalized again, of his father Isaac. So Jacob is swearing by the living God of the Bible, but he's not, so, he's not yet claiming that God for himself. Verse 54, And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. It's a really sad and tragic story. The, the family is a smoking ruin. In the same way that Jacob blew up Isaac and Rebekah's household and ruined his relationship with Esau, he's, in a way, he's blown up Laban's household. This, the man that was to be God's agent of blessing in the land. It's a sad and tragic story, but there's good news. The good news is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the good news is that the God who sent Christ Jesus to save sinners is the God who's going to save Jacob. God is not done with Jacob. His story is not over yet. This guy that blows up his own family and then blows up his in-laws' family is going to get redeemed mercifully, gloriously that doesn't mean all the problems are going to go away. He's still going to have his share of problems and difficulties. But he's going to be saved. And he's going to know God. And he's going, to be, he's going to be put on a path toward honoring God and proclaiming the glory of God in the ears of the nations. This guy, Jacob, is going to stand before Pharaoh and bless him in the name of the living God. So there is hope in the power of God to transform the lives of sinners. And so if you're here today and you don't identify as a Christian, there's hope for you. you if you want to know what life looks like apart from God, read Genesis 30 and 31. That's what you're going to find. If you want to know what life can look like with God, go read Exodus 18. In Exodus 18, you know, we've, I've, as we've gone through here, I've, I've pointed out all these similarities between Jacob's flight from Padan Aram and Israel's flight from Egypt. And there's another father-in-law that comes out after the Exodus. Jacob has this Exodus from Padan Aram. Israel's going to have this Exodus from Egypt. And Moses' father-in-law is going to come out and he's going to bless Israel. Listen to Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home. I mean, would Laban have brought his wives back to Jacob? Maybe not. But Jethro brings Zipporah back out to Moses. And then as the conversation ensues, look at, you don't have to turn there. But Exodus 18, verse 8 tells us, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Moses is speaking the great acts of God to his father-in-law. Moses is talking about the Lord. Verse 9, we don't have, I don't trust you, you don't trust me, so we're going to have to make a non-aggression pact here that we won't fight each other. Exodus 18, verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you. And it just goes on this way. And then Jethro gives Moses good advice 
which Moses accepts, embraces, and, and, and puts into practice. That's what it can be. It can be, let's all work together for the kingdom of God. It can be that way. But for it to be that way, we're going to have to be people who see the light, who've been baptized, not by some, not by some experience with some woman, but by the glory of God in the face of Christ, by being buried in the waters of baptism, putting the old man to death, raised to walk in newness of life. That's what, that will bring about the kinds of interactions that we see between Moses and Jethro. There's a preview of the Exodus in Abraham's life. There's a preview of the Exodus in Jacob's life. Then the Exodus happens, and then the whole, that whole pattern of salvation comes to fulfillment when the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our Passover, Christ, is slain for us. How will you respond to the accomplishment of God's salvation? Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there are those here today that don't know you, they would turn from their sins and put their hope in Christ alone and recognize that these other gods, these other powers, these other sources of, of provision or safety or healing, they're worthless. They can't keep themselves from being stolen. They can't protect themselves. Lord, help people to turn away from idols to you, the living God. And Father, those of us who know you, make us people who don't just know about you, who don't just talk about you as the God of people that we know. Make us people who experience your glory, people who have changed hearts that make us grateful for what you've done for us. Make us people, Lord, who never forget all the mercy that you've lavished on us. You've given us life. You've given us freedom. You've given us the Bible. You've given us Jesus. Lord, make us grateful. And make us people who love others. Lord, keep us from being cruel, heartless, untrustworthy, thieving, greedy, lustful killers. Lord, make us like Jesus, ready to give everything that we have, ready to love anyone that we encounter. And make us compassionate, Lord, like yourself. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.